0: Hello, and welcome to Time of Death. I'm your host, Dee. And I'm your host, Riss. And together, we make the dynamic duo of Time of Death. If you're new here, Time of Death is our true crime podcast in which we, two nurses, and also sisters, by the way, talk about true crime cases that have a heavy medical influence or they feature either the victim or the perpetrator, being a medical professional, but we're here every Wednesday, so if you enjoy, feel free to like, rate, review, follow us. We do have an Instagram, which have we used lately? Yes. Yes, we do use Instagram. I'm on top of it. I'm our social media guru. I just want to add a warning for this case. We're going to be talking about very sensitive material, um, including sexual assault and violence murder so if that isn't for you today then we'll just see you in the next episode so thank you for your spiel res always appreciated why don't you scooch a little closer we're only using one mic tonight so bear with us (laughs) it's gonna be a little rough but it's all good right baba baba is desperately trying to distract res tonight with his good looks it's working. All right. So tonight I am once again whipping out my book of serial killers. This is the third case from this book <laughs> that she's done. And I think it's going to be until <laughs> the book is completely done. Shut up. So <clears throat> tonight we will be discussing the one eyebrow wonder. Tot. Ta- <laughs> Ted Bundy Todd Bundy, <laughs> Todd Bundy. <laughs> the one eyebrow wonder I knew you were gonna like that he is my least favorite person with a unibrow because I actually made a list of people with unibrow's that I prefer to Ted Bundy did you actually yes Frida Kahlo is coming in a hot number one you remember Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street Ernie had a unibrow no actually wait is Bert Big Bird Bert Big Bird. No! No, that's blasphemy in this house. Which one's Bert? You don't know who Bert is and Ernie? This is Bert and Ernie. Okay, I remember now. Okay. Other fan favorites. Of course, J. Cole. Hey. Anthony Davis. And Which Josh Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is the basketball player. See, that's Anthony Davis. I've seen him. Josh Harnett, who plays in Halloween H20, which I really enjoy. H20? Halloween Water? No, it's a 20-year reunion, but okay. Anyways, you're absolutely ruining the list, but it's okay. So basically, Ted Bundy falls very low on the totem pole. So let's get into it. Ted Bundy was a nefarious killer who preyed upon young women that he typically abducted assaulted and then murdered his criminal proclivities do not specifically relate to healthcare workers however one of his victims uh karen campbell was a nurse however she was the only victim who was a nurse so that is why this relates to our podcast It's a bit of a stretch, but I'll allow it. (laughs) Okay, it's fine. But basically, what this individual—what centers around—like seems to be the common denominator throughout this case—is his innate ability to charm and deceive. So just bear that in mind. And of course, there—you know—there's been documentaries there's been books there's been movies tv shows about this individual and he is absolutely awful I do not believe in romanticizing serial killers I'm not a fan of that do not as much as I like Zac Efron not cool as much as I liked um Evan Peters not cool playing Jeffrey Dahmer my personal opinion do not romanticize Awful, horrible people. But also, I think they both did very good in their roles. Don't you agree? I think they were really good. I think they were good, but I hate the culture of romanticizing... Romanticizing different mental, mental illness, romanticizing people who are doing unspeakable acts of... So I don't care how good-looking someone is or how good-looking someone who is acting to portray this individual. It's not cool to, you know oh, Jeffrey Dahmer can get it, like, gag me. (laughs) You know what I mean? I've seen that a lot, like, women and men, like. Well, look at the people who, like, get married to, not speaking badly about anyone in jail, but the people who are attracted to, like, prisoners. I don't get it, I don't get it. I don't wanna be around that energy. There's, like, TV shows and stuff about this, and I'm not a fan. But, anyways, Ted Bunny was born Theodore Robert Cowell. And he was born on November 24th, 1946. So I believe that makes him a Sagittarius. I agree, I think so. Which is also my moon sign. So his mom was Eleanor... And she actually had Ted at a home for unwed mothers in Vermont. So, it was very, uns- like, very cloudy who his birth father was. That was never, like, officially confirmed. However, on the birth certificate, paternity is assigned to one Lloyd Marshall, a USA uh, Air Force veteran. His mom went on to, like, claim, like, several other people being the father of ted so it was something that you know was a source of controversy at that time in the forties, 1950s you know it's a it's still a very much of a stigma it's taboo mm-hmm. to be what they call like a illegitimate child mm-hmm. outside of marriage so the mom actually claimed that one of those individuals jack worthington who it was, like, there was a high suspicion for him, but there's also suspicion that it may have been her own father and that Ted Bundy was the product of incest. So, he actually goes on to be raised by his maternal grandparents, and he is raised as their son, not their grandson. What happened to his mother? She, at that time, was not living at home. Uh, She was elsewhere. I don't know what exactly she was doing, but he does later reunite with his birth mother. He's raised as his mother's brother, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, there are a lot of contradicting reports, not only about the circumstances of his birth, but also about his grandfather. So, Ted goes on to say that, you know, I really identified with my grandfather. I worshipped him. Like, there's a lot of, there's a very strong connection between the two. And you assume that it's one of, like, admiration and love, etc. However, um, he later went on to say that his grandfather actually was a raging alcoholic, beat his grandmother, beat their dog through his wife, Ted's grandmother down the stairs, he was racist, xenophobic, and painted a very vivid picture about him being complete POS. His grandma, he also claimed, was very, very depressed, and she would have electroconvulsive therapy for that depression. Um, according to neighbors and like people who really did know his grandparents, they said they were lovely people, they were very devoted to Ted. So, there's a lot of conflict. I'm less inclined to believe Ted just because of who he is as a person. Um, but at the same time, we also have to bear in mind that a lot of times, these serial killers are definitely born into dysfunction. So, just two sides of the coin. Later on in the 1950s, his mom goes on to relocate to Washington, Washington. And she remarries an individual named John Bundy. So, this is where Ted gets his last name, his infamous last name. Because, as we know, he was born Theodore Robert Cowell. So, it says, according to my sources, Ted was good at school. He was bright, however, his teachers would remark on him being very unpredictable with his temper. There was a childhood neighbor who said that, as a child, Ted liked to inflict pain and fear on other beings. Um, She witnessed him several occasions committing acts of animal cruelty, where there is one instance in trigger warning that he hung a cat on a clothesline and set it on fire. So just really, you know, going above and beyond in these inhumane, horrible torture acts. He was arrested twice in high school for burglary, and he also was arrested for vehicle theft. However, once he turned 18, these were expunged from his record. So Ted went on to the University of Washington, where he obviously began his college education. He ended up getting a scholarship to Stanford University, where he studied Chinese and graduated in 1972 with a bachelor's in psychology. He actually, interestingly, found employment as a psychology assistant to the County Crime Commission in that area. I don't know if anyone has read the book about... Ted Bundy was a suicide hotline operator, which is also bizarre to think about, but there is an accounting of a co-worker that he became friends with and what her experience and observations were of Todd Bundy. I read that when I was much, much younger, um, so it's a little fuzzy, but she was absolutely taken aback. You know, that someone who is coming here and volunteering their time and, you know, doing something that Typically is very, you know, kind act and can go on to also commit these monstrosities. It always, like, throws me off when you hear about that. Because you don't picture... It's almost more sinister when you know that they've done such, like, good people type things. You know what I mean? And then to know that they're capable of the complete opposite. But it's, like, makes you wonder what it was like for them when they were... Or like what kind of you know, effect on people they had. I agree, Riss. Those are some good points. And for anyone who is inquiring what that book is called, it's called The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule. Mm. So it's definitely a good read. I don't know where the heck I put it, but it is a very good read. And it just really does show you how well these psychopathic killers assimilate into society like someone that you know was actually considered him a friend was completely taken it back they just live very compartmentalized lives you know they're very good at appearing in a way that but we'll get more into them talking about his ability to blend in and deceive people we are going to talk about The classmate that he had met in college, her name is Diane Edwards, and they go on to pursue a romantic relationship. And he later claimed that Diane was the only woman that he had ever loved, which was interesting because is this person really capable of love? You know, that's a whole other question. But um, Diane goes on to dump him because she considers him immature, lacking ambition, and this seems to be the... Crisis catalyst that catapults Ted Bundy into what he became. That's what he claims. So he was very devastated by this breakup. It was, he was totally blindsided. And during that time, he goes to Vermont and seeks out his father on the birth certificate. He kind of pursues what exactly his parentage is. And that's also something that is very traumatizing, like not to, I'm not trying to like sympathize with him, but I can't help have some kind of empathy, even in this situation for someone who is an awful monster, because that is very difficult. I'm sure it was. So after his breakup with Diane, he goes on to meet Elizabeth Klopfer, probably not saying that right. But I tried. Um, and as we know with the Netflix thing with the Zac Efron and the beautiful girl, I forget her, actress, I forget her name. What's her name? Uh, with the beautiful eyebrows. She is beautiful. I forget her name. I don't remember. It'll come to me. Either way, their relationship was, Elizabeth was a single mom at that time to a three-year-old little girl. And... While he was in their lives, he almost took on, like, a father rule to his, her daughter. However, the daughter later goes on to disclose that he was very abusive and inappropriate with her. Um, you know, which is not surprising. I hate to say it that way, but he really is, If you, some of his victims were very, very young. And, uh, you know, he's someone that... I don't think had any respect for women whatsoever. While he is still dating Elizabeth years later, he rekindles his relationship with Diane. They're in love. He goes on to say that it's his fiance. They're engaged. While he's with Elizabeth or no? Yes. So he is like enamored with her she's falling head over heels in love with him again and then he goes completely no contact and by doing this like she ends up like talking to him on the phone and he's like no i don't know what you're talking about and like gaslights the crap out of her so just like she rejected him he had to get his look back and reject her he does sound very immature He's a very amateur and very self-centered. There's no growth. So, Ted Bundy, like, they go on to say, like, he's a really, like, good-looking, well-educated guy, charming, witty, and he, however he's able to come across, he's, like, a, a ticking time bomb, despite, like, his appearances. He goes on to claim different stories with different people regarding not only the amount of people that he murdered, but when the first murder was. Um, He claimed that the first time that he killed someone, it was actually in um, 1974. There was a Linda Healy who disappeared from her lodgings, leaving a blood-stained nightgown and pillow. So this is the first documented homicide that is attributed to Ted Bundy and at that time he's 27 years old however experts believe that he most likely started killing when he was still a teenager previously the year before there was a young woman Susan Clark who was found badly beaten in her bed in Seattle Washington march 12 1974 there's a donna manson who's 19 who was last seen crossing a campus in olympia uh, on her way to a jazz concert april 17 1974 susan rancourt who's 18 just vanishes may sixth, nineteen 1974 22 year old roberta parks does not ever come back to her dorm at oregon state university after taking a walk and then June 1st, 1974, 22-year-old Brenda Ball leaves a tavern in Seattle with an unknown man whose arm was in a sling and she's never seen again. So touching on this sling, this is a ploy that Ted Bundy used countless times. We'll get a little bit more into that later, but that is like one of his trademark ploys. A Couple days later, after Brenda's disappearance, 18-year-old Georgiane Hawkins disappeared on the way to her sorority house. And then March 1st, 1975, the remains of Brenda, Linda, and Susan, as well as Roberta, are discovered in a forest by the Cascade Mountains, just south of Seattle. So even recovering the bodies, because of his background, because he was an intelligent and very proficient killer he left minimal if no incriminating forensic evidence at the crime scenes he was very good at that and although there was not much evidence to go off of all of the girls had a very similar there was clearly a type They were young, attractive, shoulder-length hair, and investigators remarked that oftentimes in their photos, a lot of the victims could pass for sisters. They looked very similar. They all had dark hair, which is interesting. Did they look like anyone from his life? Like a family member or an ex-girlfriend or something like that? So apparently... His first girlfriend, the love of his life, air quotes, had long, dark hair that was parted in the middle. However, in the 70s, this was a very like desirable hairdo. Mm. So it could be what he was attracted to. It could have reminded him of maybe his ex-girlfriend. That's a very good observation, Russ. Well, it seems like his relationship with Diane, like, impacted him and, like, kick-started, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. when he was broken up with, like, he just kind of spiraled after that, you know what I mean? Like, and it wasn't a normal response. So maybe, like, it triggered something in him. It's a very good way to put it, and I think you are right. You know, if you look at people who resent their mothers a lot of times, they will have victims that look like their mothers there was one guy in this book who hated blonde women so he would just kill all the blondes and I remember when I was young thinking good thing I'm a brunette I'm serious little did I know Ted Bundy likes brunettes (laughs) you don't fit one type but you'd fit another (laughs) listen I wish, I, w- I feel like I've gotten to know, I know that you guys don't talk, but I feel like I've gotten to know this community, but if you knew how freaking weird we are, they would take one freaking look at they and say, that's the problem I do not want to have. And would be like, what the hell is wrong with this? <laughs> it's my defense mechanism. It's very effective. <laughs> All right. So... It works to our advantage sometimes. <laughs> yeah. There actually was a lead in the case besides the obvious physical characteristics that these girls all shared when in on July 14th, the nineteen seventy-four, the year of the nineteen seventy-four. That came out so weird. <laughs> Crowds had gathered, had flocked to Lake Samamashish. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pronounce anything. Sam mash Sam Omesh. Sam mish Sam mish Whatever. So, amongst the crowds at that time, there was a tall, good looking dude with an arm in a sling. Mm. So, as we mentioned, as I mentioned, this was. His commonly deployed tactic that he used and he was asking all the beautiful young women around the area to give him a hand tying his sailboat to the car a lot of girls said no (laughs) no and this is why I say no to anything and everyone ever asks me (laughs) will you pick up a ship no (laughs) I know what you're doing staffing However, at the end of the day, two kind young women, Janice Ott and Denise Nasland, were reported missing. A couple people recalled that Janice had been seen conversing with a man who introduced himself as Ted. Hmm. The police then fielded all these calls from the general public, because there was a lot of people in the area at that time. And Ted Bundy was among the names mentioned. However, they... Thought it was very unlikely that a Debonair young law student would be the killer. However, on September 7th, hunters found a shallow grave in the woods just a few miles away from Lake Simmashus. In there, they found three bodies, which were nearly skeletons at this point. And uh, through dental records, they were able to identify Janice Ott and Denise Nasland. However, the third body was never identified. On October 12th, another hunter discovered the bones of two more women near Oregon. One was identified as Carol Valenzula, who had been missing since August. Unfortunately, they were not able to identify the other body either. So, shortly after these bodies were recovered, Bundy enrolled in the University of Utah and began studying law. Again, this starts becoming very pivotal to developments later on down the line. After he left, there were no more disappearances of young women in Washington. However, incidentally, women began disappearing in Utah. There was a young Nancy Wilcox, who was 16, who vanished October 2nd, Shortly after, Melissa Smith, who was the local daughter of the police chief, was abducted from her home, and her body was recovered nine days afterwards, raped, battered, and strangled. She was found in the woods. On Halloween night, Laura Amy, who was 17, disappeared, and her corpse was recovered. She was brutally mutilated in the same way that Melissa had been. Uh, he, he, at this point, he's very much escalating. Eight days after Laura Amy was abducted, 18, Carol Daroche was approached by a young man in the mall. He told her, I am a police officer. Get in this car. So, Carol being the smart little cookie that she is currently because she survived thank goodness goes on to play a big role in taking Ted Bundy down so he attempted to handcuff both of her arms she ended up fighting him off in the car jumped out and got away a blessing Mm -hmm. however just a couple hours later Debbie Kent ...was seized from her uh, school just a few miles away. Her body was never found, and unfortunately, the police had just a single clue. And that was the handcuff key from the same handcuffs that had been used on Carol Daroche. That's how they were able to link them. That's pretty damning, that evidence. He likes those handcuffs. We'll get into that. Um, so, welcoming in the new year, 1975, Bundy went to a ski resort in Aspen, Colorado. He was there during that time, and the first individual who disappeared was Karen Campbell, who was our nurse. He raped and bludgeoned her body and her body ended up being recovered roughly five weeks later. March 15th, Julie Cunningham vanished. And a month after that, Melanie Cooley went missing while she was riding her bike near Denver. Her corpse was discovered eight years later and her skull was crushed. So as we see here, not only does he have a pattern of killing, but he is beating the crap out of these women. And we will talk about just how violent and brutal he can be, not to diminish what he's already done, but it really, he commits some horrible, and it's horrible all the way around, but he just absolutely beats the shit out of these people. It's terrible. All right. So shortly afterwards, Shelley Robertson went missing as well, just outside Denver and her remains were found in a deserted mineshaft. The last individual was Nancy Baird, who was a gas station attendant, who disappeared one day while she was working. Anyone that he encountered that he could charm, it, he was opportunistic. He would go from being in a sling to impersonating a police officer to he, it, it's, there was not, the, he, he employed a lot of different methods. So... By August of that year, he was back in Salt Lake City where he was arrested on suspicion of burglary. So, how this happened was really incidental and very interesting. So, he was cruising a residential area at that time in his little Volkswagen Bug. Someone else I know also drives a Volkswagen Bug, (laughs) but we're not going to mention any names. She does not like to drive her car she's constantly shuffled around by people but she does have a volkswagen bug do you do you know anyone no <laughs> so once he realized that the officer was there ted took off he fled the freaking scene and the cop was like dude you just made yourself so much more suspicious by running so Once Ted searched, or I'm sorry, once the officers searched Ted's car, they found handcuffs and black pantyhose with eye holes cut out to make a mask. They found an ice pick. They found all, rope. They found all this weird, obviously, like, his murder kit. And the cop assumed, like, hey, these are tools for burglary. But little did he know, they were a murder kit. But, of course, the charismatic Bundy went on to say that these were common household items and that he had just gone skiing <laughs> with my pantyhose, with my eyes cut out. Yes, yeah. it's very cold up there. Typical wear. <laughs> so he's rationalizing. My favorite word, rationalizing. I swear, every episode. Rationalization. That's my favorite word. <laughs> So, after a month later, he goes on to sell this little buggy and sells it to this young teenager, teenage guy. The Utah police impound the vehicle from this kid and they analyze it. They, go, they comb through this car and they find several hairs that matched three of the victims. So, that is damning evidence. They also went on to search his apartment where they found gas station receipts that linked him to a number of Colorado ski resorts. So the receipts are a little more shaky, but the hair's damning evidence. So one of the people whose hair they found was Carol DeRoche, And as we know, she was able to fight off her attacker. So she identifies Bundy in a lineup. She is a bold freaking gal. And she says, Yeah, that's the guy that tried to carry me off just a couple months earlier. And as a result, he was convicted of attempted kidnapping and extradited to Colorado to stand trial for the murder of Karen Campbell, our nurse. So,
1: if any of your listeners
0: are in a situation, There's always something you can do. We have a PSA.
1: There's always something you can do. You could be scared. You could cry. You could scream. But do something. Poke. Hit. Strike. Pee your pants. Do something. Throat. Do something. (laughs) Don't just freeze up. Do something. It's your life. Thanks, Mom.
0: Thank you, Mom. Lovely. Lovely very good you know maybe that's life-saving advice you never know so while he is waiting to stand trial for the murder of karen campbell wait quick question was karen campbell's hair one of the other hairs in the car yes yes so while he was waiting trial for the murder of karen campbell bundy announced that he would be defending himself and asked to visit The courthouse library, so he can read up on the law to better defend himself. On June seventh, nineteen seventy-seven, he escaped. (laughs) He escaped from the law library. He jumped out a window. I think he broke his ankle and he fell twenty feet to the ground. They ended up capturing him, but while he was waiting trial, he dug a hole (laughs) through the cell of his cell and vanished. (laughs) How the hell did he escape two times? (laughs) He had a spoon and he just dug and dug and dug. He was like a little mole. Well, I'll tell you where he went. He went to Tallahassee and that's nearly 2,000 miles away. And he posed as graduate law student Chris Hagen. And while he was there, his most infamous murder spree happened. So on January 15th, 1978, terror... Erupted like a freaking volcano at the University of Florida to end Tallahassee. It took place. The slaughter took place in the Chi Omega sorority house, which was home to 40 coeds at that time. A man in a black mask, almost in a frenzied state, went from room to room, where he beat the coeds, the young women with a oak tree branch. If you hear about the injuries they sustained, it's awful. Awful, awful, awful. In one room, Karen Chandler and Kathy Kleiner suffered severe head injuries that left them disfigured for life. In another room, Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy were similarly similarly bludgeoned and they were also raped while they were dying. Ted Bundy then ran from the sorority house at around 3.15 a.m. where he passed Nita Neri who was coming back home late from a party. She raised the alarm and the police arrived to the home within minutes. Ambulances were there. It just was congested with a lot of emergency medical people, personnel. However, they were not in the right spot. Because of only a few blocks away, on Dunwoody Street, he was attacking another young woman, Cheryl Thomas, who was a ba- ba- ballet dancer. She was found beaten, laying close to death in a pool of her own blood. Fortunately, she recovered.
1: This is a story about... A grandmother who loved her granddaughter who gave her a pair of rosary beads and she was going away to school and her grandmother said to keep the rosary beads with her all the time and the night that Bundy came into that college dormitory she had her her rosary beads on her nightstand and he saw them when he came into her room and he left And at some point he was asked, you know, why did you leave this woman? And it was because he saw these rosary beads.
0: Where'd you hear this?
1: A priest told me this story.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Mom. Thank you, Mom. So although the Chi Omega sorority house slaughter had ended, Ted Bundy's killings did not. Stop at that point. So he stole a van and drove it to Jacksonville where he unsuccessfully attempted to abduct a young schoolgirl. Her brother intervened and confronted him, and he ended up driving away. Three days after that, 12 year old Kimberly Leach was kidnapped outside of her school in Salt Lake City. She was found later by a shed in Zandy River State Park. On February 15th, police spotted the license plate of a stolen, again, Volkswagen Beetle that was parked on a side street. After the officer confronted Bundy, he kicked the officer's legs out from underneath him and ran away. The officer, Officer Lee fired two warning shots at Bundy as he was running and ended up tackling him. While he tackled him, they're grappling, fighting over his gun. And after that altercation, they were, he was actually ultimately able to arrest Bundy. He was completely unaware that he had just arrested and apprehended one of the FBI's most wanted fugitives at that time. He told the officer that his name was Kenneth Miser, but the ID that he showed the police was stolen, as were the credit cards that were also in the wallet. He eventually admitted, yes, my name is Ted Bundy. And he was, uh, you know, he was very well aware that he was a wanted man. However, he denied any killing I'm sorry, any responsibility for what had happened in Tallahassee or Kimberly Leach's abduction. think that it's important to know that he was deplorable in a lot of ways, but for someone that killed, raped, and suffocated a 12-year-old girl and mutilated her body, like, that's just the lowest of the low. Because Kim was only 12. So, obviously, he's apprehended. He is brought back. And during his trial, one of the most damning pieces of evidence was on the body of Lisa Levy, one of the girls that he had murdered during the sorority, the Chi Omega sorority killing. There was a very clear bite mark on her buttock. And... When Bundy had been arrested and apprehended and you know detained, he had declined to provide any type of dental impression because he knew he messed up. They eventually got a warrant which said that, hey, you can use force if you need it. And at that point, Ted agreed. Dr. Richard Souvereaux, he took an imprint of his teeth. And when his trial started in 1979, the judge made comments about him being a bright young man. You would have made a great lawyer. Because, again, he's defending himself with the assistance of an attorney, Margaret Good. Part of the, the downfall of Ted Bundy was the evidence that Dr. Suvron had made with the impression of Ted Bundy's teeth. He placed it, the film, the bite mark, over in a large photograph of what Lisa Levy's buttock looked like, and it was a perfect match. Dr. Lowell Levine, who was the chief, I'm not going to say this right, odontological teeth doctor, <laughs> forensic teeth doctor, who was consultant to the New York Medical Examiner, agreed. This was indisputable. So the jury, of course, was unanimous in finding Ted Bundy guilty. He was convicted of the murders of Lisa Levy and Margaret Bowman and was sentenced to the electric chair. So in the 1980s, Bundy went on to receive a third death sentence for the killing of Kimberly Leach, our 12-year-old. He tried everything every legal loophole to escape execution he did not want to be killed and he appealed to the supreme court he did everything and when everything had been exhausted he began to confess to all the killings including the green river murders in which he could not have committed and as his execution date came closer and closer he claimed more than additional 20 murders And they speculate that he probably really did commit nine more of the, of the 20. Experts say that he could have killed anywhere from 40 to 400 people. And his final appeal was set aside, uh, and he was executed on January 24th, 1989. You know, all I have to say is he didn't want to die, and he went to such you know extents to avoid the electric chair. But yeah, you know, what about all those women that he killed, who didn't? Get, you know what? They probably would have begged for their life too. But I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. But he, you know, I I'm don't, I, I don't really want to say my opinion about the uh, death penalty, but. Um, Let it rip. He is just a, a nasty person and I can I, I, I know that people do glorify him still. Uh, and I just think that's absolutely disgusting. He's sociopathic, absolute POS. Not only do you kill young women, but to, to I just can't wrap my brain around doing that to a child. Like, that's, that, that, Kimberly Leach, that was the most disturbing one. For, they all were disturbing, but that was just, like, I could not, like, no. he deserved worse than the electric chair. I'm sorry. Well, thank you, D, for a wonderfully done case on a horrible person. Anyway. I'm going to call it. It's 20.01 for those of you who do use military time and 8.01 PM for those of you who do not. Thank you for joining us. We're here every single Wednesday. And Dee, do you have anything to add? Shout out to all the real ones out here. I don't know. What... <laughs> going with that? I don't know where I was going with that. Um. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for being so patient with us. Uh, it's always a pleasure doing a case for you guys, and uh, it's always a lot of fun being with Russ and my f- rest of my family. Every Wednesday, we have a weekly dinner, and then we do our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's very fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Okay, bye. Bye.